0: You know, something that is common through all of history, it's common today in the church, outside of the church, is that people are looking for joy. They're looking for joy, and <clears throat> so many times they're looking for joy in all the wrong places. Uh, they look for it in their job. You know, uh, again, I think we can find a, a level of temporary happiness in these things, but uh, things like a job. Or possessions. You know, if I just had this car, or if I just had this house, or if I just had this, or if I just had that, then I would be joyful. Then I'd be happy. Uh, Sometimes we look for it in people. You know, we expect our joy to be complete. You know, if you're single, boy, if I just found that person that I could marry, uh, then I'd really be happy. and, And we keep looking for that. Sometimes it's finances. You know, if I have this much in my retirement account or this much in my emergency fund, if if these things are happy, then, boy, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be uh, joyful. And, uh, you know, we do get this temporary happiness there, but the problem is is that uh, seldom do we find joy in these things because happiness is from the Latin word fortuna. Sound familiar? Fortune. And it's closely related to chance. In other words, happiness really depends upon your circumstances. If you get this, then I'll be happy. And you are for a while maybe, and then what happens is, is the shine wears off, and now you've got to maintain it, and now it breaks down, etc., etc. And so what happens is, is that happiness is really conditional, and that's the difference between happiness and joy. Joy is not based on your circumstances. You can have a joy even when your circumstances are just absolutely coming apart. As a matter of fact, I have friends that I consider have real joy that you look at and the world would say, how can they have joy? Uh, for example, I have one friend who is um, is physically struggling. This individual is at a level eight or nine uh, every day, every moment of every day for his past couple of years and will continue to be so. And yet there's a joy about him. It's amazing. I mean, that's on a level of 10. That's amazing. I have another friend who has very little in the ways, in the, when it comes to uh, possessions or even money coming in. And yet this individual is one of the most uh, joyful people I know. I'm actually jealous of him because of the joy that he has. And uh, yet in the world's eyes, he has nothing, very little. And then there's my sister who a year and a half ago, her daughter was murdered. And it has been amazing to see the work of the Holy Spirit in her life as he is restoring joy to her. It's, It's shocking. You see, because they understand something that Paul understood that few Christians, I think, really understand is that the gospel can give you real joy regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. Let's take a look at this book, Philippians. Uh, This is the first church in Philippi. It was the first church planted in Europe during Paul's second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. Uh, The book... Philippians was written somewhere between 61 and 63 A.D. This is about 10 years after Paul planted the church in Philippi in Lydia's house. And it's about uh, this particular epistle was written about 30 years after Jesus ascended. At the time that this letter was written, Paul was Nero's prisoner, and he was under house arrest in Rome. Take a look. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers... Look, this is amazing. The head of their church there, what they would call the founder of their church, is imprisoned. Look at the response. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm thinking if your pastor is arrested, you're not as confident to share your faith, and you're doing the opposite. That's not what was happening in this church. That's not what was happening in this church. Paul responds and sends this letter, and it is not written in response to a crisis that was happening in the church or serious doctrinal problems that they were having or behavioral problems. That's not why he wrote this letter. As a matter of fact, what we see is this is a letter to friends in order to express his appreciation and affection for them. And out of all of Paul's letters, this is the most joy-filled of all of his letters. As a matter of fact, there's only a 104 verses. And in those 104 vis- verses, either s- about 16 times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice in 104 verses. So he is just expressing his joy to his friends in a church not dealing with a whole lot of heavy doctrinal or, or behavioral problems. Take a look. Here's the outline of the book of Philippians. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is his introduction. Chapter 1, 12 through 26 is Paul's situation in Rome. Chapter one twenty seven through chapter two eighteen, a call to unity in Christ. Chapter two, nineteen through thirty is plans involving two of Paul's co-workers. Chapter three, one through twenty-one. Uh, comparing the truth against the errors of Judaism and Antinomianism. Chapter four, one through nine, exhortations to unity, joy and peace. Chapter four, ten through twenty, thanksgiving for their generosity. And finally, chapter 4, 21 through 23, the final greeting and benediction. What's really amazing is is that Philippians, this, this epistle illustrates by Paul's own experience in prison, that joy is possible even in difficult circumstances. Joy is possible even in difficult circumstances. Here's Paul locked up, and yet he has a joy unspeakable. You know, Christian joy does not mean freedom from problems. That's not what it is. It's the ability to be joyful in spite of those struggles, those challenges, those difficult things that are happening in life. In other words, a Christian should interpret the circumstances through the lens of God's love displayed in the Gospel. Not to uh, look at what is happening and measure God's love by what the circumstances are. See, that's what we have a tendency to do. We look and hard things happen in our lives and then what we do is we question God's love. We question, well, you know, if or or we question our performance. If I would just be this, then this wouldn't be happening. So we take and we look at the... At God's love and, and the circumstances are what we look at it through and determine God's love when it should be the opposite this is what is happening this is really hard but God I know the truth of the gospel I know that you love me that all things work for the good God I know these truths they're secure they're solid so now I'm going to look at this what is happening and interpret what's happening through the lens of the gospel not vice versa That's what a Christian should do. But so many times it's easier to fall into the other category. Think about Paul's situation through the eyes of the world. Okay, here's a guy who's chained up to someone most of the day. He is on house arrest, but he's still on house arrest. And he's chained up most of the day, and he's facing a death sentence from a crazy emperor named Nero. Now I'm thinking, in the world's eyes, you're saying, "Boy, this guy's got it bad." This, this no, I don't want to volunteer for for what he's got going on. You know how many people would say, "Hey, you know, boy, that sounds great. That sounds like a good time. I want to be under house arrest, and then I could be facing death. Yeah, sign me up for that." But that's what Paul is at. And in the world's eyes, it's hopeless. How can anybody have joy in a situation like that? You can't. It's not possible. But you see, nothing could rob Paul of his joy because his joy was not rooted in his circumstances, it wasn't rooted in that, but rather in the promises of the gospel. That's where Paul's joy was rooted in, the promises of the gospel. That, you know what, he knew he was a sinner, separated from God for all eternity. The guilt was upon him, the judgment was upon him, and then Christ came and went to the cross. First of all, he lived that perfect sinless life, meeting the requirements of the law for Paul, because Paul couldn't do it, just like we can't. He lives a perfect sinless life. Then he goes to the cross and Paul's sins, which righteously deserved judgment, were judged. And that punishment was paid for by Jesus as the wrath of God poured out upon Christ. And three days later he rose from the dead, the Father signifying, I accept the payment for Paul's sins. And when Paul received that gift of salvation, another promise was fulfilled, that he was filled with the Spirit of God that dwell within him and all the promises that came, that the guilt of his past was paid for, washed white as snow, that he was made right with God, that now the Spirit dwelt within him, and the Spirit was working in him to transform him into more and more the image of Christ, and that eternity with Jesus awaited him. All those truths of the gospel he understood, and because of that, his circumstances did not determine the level of his joy. Rather, he knew that he was united with Christ and a citizen of heaven. Take a look at these verses. This is incredible, as you can see, the understanding that Paul had of the gospel and how it affected him. Take a look, Philippians one 18 through 18-24. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now stop right there. So you think, okay... He knows that this is going to turn out for his deliverance. In other words, Paul knows that he's going to be set free, right? That's what we would determine that word deliverance meaning, right? So Paul's saying, hey, don't worry. It's all going to be good. I'm going to be set free. I'm going to be delivered. See, that's how we read this. But that's not what Paul intended because you have to keep reading on. He says He's not talking about that type of deliverance that we think he would be talking about. It goes on in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I think that's what he's talking about. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He wanted to honor Christ. That was his goal. He wanted to uh, honor Jesus whether he died or whether he lived. That's what he wanted. That's where his heart was. Verse 21. For to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He's excited about this. He says if I stay, if I keep living for however long I am, it's going to be fruit for the glory of God. I'm going to become more like Jesus and I get a chance to share the gospel with people. This is great. Yet which I shall choose, I am not sure. I cannot tell. He says, I don't know if I want to die or if I want to live. And then he goes twenty three. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with G- with Christ, for that is far better. Amen? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, what Paul is doing is he understands the promises that are in the gospel the truths of the gospel and what he's doing is he's taking his circumstances and he's looking at them through the lens of the gospel all the truths that are there about the gospel and who he is in christ and what christ has done for him is doing for him and will do for him and he's looking at his situation and he's seeing it through that lens and he says you know what if i die the gospel promises me that i'm spending eternity in heaven Wow. So I'm not going to fear death because I know what awaits me. So I'm not going to let that control my situation. You know, this is one of those truths that my sister Lynn embraces very deeply this truth of the gospel because she knows her daughter loved Jesus. And she knows that the gospel promised that when we die, we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And she knows her daughter is in heaven with Jesus. And my sister also knows that she is a believer and that through the gospel, God has made a promise that when she dies, she will spend eternity in heaven. And she knows that first of all, she will be with Jesus, but secondly, she will be with her daughter. And that's how she is able to handle the heaviness of that and how God is restoring a level of joy in her that is unbelievable. How can that be? Only God. But you see, she holds on to that, that truth And that's why she can have joy even though she is facing all the emotions that are going on. And it's up and down. It's not always easy. But Paul says, you know what, if I die, I'm with Jesus. The the, the promise of the gospel is there. And he says, but if I live, you know what, I know That the Holy Spirit's still transforming me into the image of Jesus. He's still transforming me. And so that means I get to keep sharing the gospel with people. I get to be changed by Christ. I was thinking about this. Imagine this. I was reading how when people were on house arrest, they chained someone to them. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for eight hours? Think about that. You're, you're locked up with what they say. It's your turn. It's your time to watch. So they chain him up to Paul. How long do you think it took Paul to share the gospel with those people? I'm guessing maybe a half hour. Hi, what's your name? How many kids you have? What do you do besides guarding me? You know, little <laughs> conversations here. And before you know, hey, you ever hear about Jesus? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. So within a half hour, Paul shares the gospel with whoever he's chained to. And this guy's got to sit with Paul for another seven and a half hours. And so Paul's saying, hey, you know what? This is all good. Because it means that I get a chance to share the gospel. And you wonder all the people that, he, that God used him to influence towards the gospel. When we get to heaven, maybe that would be a great question for someone. wouldn't we? Hey, God, can I just see the fruit of Paul being chained up on house arrest, all those Years And, they, oh yeah, that whole section over there. <laughs> but Paul is excited. he's saying, "You know what? I know the truth of the gospel, and whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter because you know I know who's in charge, and it's not Nero, it's my God, it's my God, and he is sovereign over these things. And if in his wisdom he says, "Not only will I chain you up, but I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh' He probably had that at this time too. So if that was a physical thing, now he's locked up, he has no freedom, and he's got a thorn in his flesh. And he's facing a death sentence. I mean, none of us are signing up for that, right? But Paul's looking at it through the lens of the gospel. And he has a joy unspeakable because he knows that whatever happens, God is the one who determines it. And that God is going to glorify his name through his life. That's what Paul understood. He knew the truths of the gospel. He knew them. And they were the lens with, through which he interpreted everything in his life. And you know what? Paul didn't pretend that his problems weren't there. He just said, I'm chained up. I'm, you know, That's what's going on. He did not pretend his problems weren't there or deny or minimize his problems. That's, I think, what we have a tendency to do. We try to minimize them. Well, it's really not that bad. No, it really is that bad. Or well, I don't receive that. Well, guess what? You still have the diagnosis, and this is what you have. And yes, God can heal you. But you see, so many times people read what Paul is saying here, and they say, "Well, he was just, you know, uh, not dealing with life realistically." No, Paul understood his situation. He knew it completely, and he wasn't pretending. But what he is saying in this section of scripture is that he will not be ruled. By his circumstances. He will not be... He will not allow his circumstances to steal his joy. Because he understood, he understood that his problems were not bigger than his Lord or the promises in the gospel. Nobody could steal his salvation. The promises were made to him, not dependent upon his performance, but upon Christ's performance for him. And so Paul was saying, whatever happens, happens. I, have, I, am, uh, I am under the blood of Christ. I am washed clean because of what Christ has done for me. And no one can ever steal that from me. And all these promises are sure because of what God said and what Christ has done, not by my performance." You see, that's how the gospel can give real joy regardless of the circumstances. Because you know the truths of the gospel. And everything in life is looked at through that lens, the gospel. What Paul did was, and what really the Holy Spirit did through Paul, was he presented us with keys in order to experience true abundant joy regardless of our circumstances. He gives us keys. He says, Here's some tools for you. Because it's hard when life comes crashing down. And he says, Here's some ways that you can walk in abundant joy. And the first one is this He said, You need to be prayerful about everything. And I look at this as not just prayer, but fellowship with the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm in prayer times, it's so easy for me to just hang with Jesus. You put aside the requests and you just spend time with Jesus and you kind of have this ebb and flow and this sweetness. And he says, you know what? In everything, be in prayer. Take a look. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that the biggest struggle with joy? Anxiety and worry. That strips your joy off just like that. He says, don't be worried about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. Don't worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, pray. And with thanksgiving... Praising God for who He is and who you are in Christ and, and all the promises that are yours because of Christ. And pray and lift these things up before the Lord. Don't act like they're not there. They are they their struggles. What the doctor said, he meant. The things that are going on are real. And he says, but lift them up. Bring them before the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I want to do a study sometime in peace with peace and joy because they're listed separately under the fruit of the spirit. But I don't know how you can have one without the other. You know, I think you can have peace without joy, but I don't know how you could have joy without peace. And so I look at this, and he says, "You know what? You're, if you want this joy, rejoice again," as he says, rejoice, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say, "Rejoice." You want to rejoice? Pray. Pray about the things. Pray about the struggles you're going through. Bring them before the Lord. Fellowship with Him. And this peace that's beyond understanding is going to hit you. And we've said this so many times that this peace doesn't mean that the circumstances have changed, but you have changed. You know, prayer is is not to convince or bend God your way. Prayer is about God bending you His way. It's about going into that quiet time and, and, and spending the time worshiping Him, opening up His Word and seeing the greatness of our God. And you're standing in awe of God as you're reading His Word, as you're praying. And you're going, this is who my God is. This is His love for me. This is the truth of the Gospel. Wow! I guess I, guess I can have hope. As Lisa and I were talking yesterday, you've know, you got to have hope in order to have joy. But our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the greatness of our God. And Paul says, you need to pray. Pray about everything. Because what is going to happen is there's going to be a peace that's going to come upon you. And that peace, I believe, is going to include a joy. Yeah, what am I worried about? You know, Paul's sitting there and he's, he's saying, okay, well, I'm going to probably have a death sentence. But hey, guess what? I get to be with Jesus. He's putting it in perspective. He's saying, you know what? This is the truth of the gospel. Be prayerful in everything. This promise, this is a promise of peace and joy beyond our circumstances. You know the three people that I talked about in the beginning? One thing I know about every one of them, they have a vibrant prayer life. Maybe that's one of the keys having joy in difficult almost impossible circumstances because every one of them are prayer prayer warriors and paul is saying here you go the holy spirit through paul saying here you go so the first way the first key to experiencing abundant joy regardless of circumstances is pray about everything Fellowship with Jesus, I think I think it's more than just prayer. I think it's a fellowship of sweetness there. The other thing is this, is that he calls us to think biblically. He calls us to know the Word and by grace believe who you are in Christ and the promises that God made to you in the Gospel. The very next verse, after this verse, after these verses, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Couldn't you see Jesus fulfilling every one of those statements there? The gospel, the glory, the greatness of, of God's plan to save men, to save you and I? He says, think about these things. Second Corinthians ten, five B. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have this battle, don't we? We know the truth, but we struggle with our thoughts. And we think about things that do not honor God. I have found this out in my life. As I'm getting older, you know, I'm finding the biggest battleground for sin in my life is in my head. It's so easy to to just wander in areas of sin with regards to bitterness or anger or whatever it might be. And I won't do anything, but I can think about it. And Paul's here also writing in Corinthians, take every thought captive. Don't let it run like that, Dan. Take every thought captive. You know the truth think upon think upon those things think upon the things that are honorable and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise those are the things Dan and when your mind drifts you need to take that thought captive but sometimes i don't do so well and that rabbit keeps running and i go right down in the hole with him not about you but i do and that's why i love mark chapter 9 23 through 24 this is the father who brings his son to be healed by Jesus. And he said, If you can. And Jesus' response is, If I can. What, what? What? All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes we need to just pray that. You know what I, I know the truth, God that I am in Christ, that that it is not about my performance, it's about Christ forming, but I'm still caught up in this. I believe, help my unbelief, God. I walk so easily into this. God have mercy on me. Paul is challenging us. He's saying, if you want this type of joy, think biblically. Pray, but think biblically. What's the truth about who you are in Christ? What is the truth about your inheritance? What is the truth that God's Word says? And dwell upon those things. Let me ask you, where are your thoughts when you have a free moment? Where do they go? When you have that time, where do your thoughts go? Do they go to the past that is filled with shame and guilt and regret? You know, if I would have just done this, then this wouldn't be what's happening to me now. You can have that regret, but guess what? The blood of Jesus covered it. You're forgiven. Do you live, are you living in the past with regret and guilt and shame? Well, if I would have just done this, then this wouldn't have If I would have just been a better parent, then this wouldn't be what happened with my kids. You have all these battles that are going on. When you have a free moment, what are you thinking about? Are you looking in the past? And allowing that to just rob your joy. You need to take that thought cap and say, you know what, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. But it's under the blood of Christ. And I am forgiven today. And yep, I am reaping what I've sown. But I know that God still loves me. And that will never change. And there's this sense of looking in the past and understanding how the gospel affects it. Maybe you're more like me. I don't consider a whole lot about the past and in my free moments. I think about the future and it's easy for me to worry and fear about the future. Now it's easier to do for me. And yet I have to come to a place of saying, now time out. Who is in charge of the future? Who holds the future? My God does. He is sovereign. Is he or is he not in charge of my life at this very moment? And does he not have a plan that is for my good and his glory? And you know what? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who my God is. And we joke sometimes. Sometimes I joke and say, hey, the worst thing that can happen is I get to die. Kind of like Paul, right? That's where Paul was at. You know, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but hey, I I would prefer to be with Jesus, is what he said. He's just being honest. And those of us that have a little bit more of life can kind of relate to that, can't we? You know, I just kind of want to be with Jesus. And if you're married, your spouse is saying, oh, no. Uh-uh. uh uh-uh. Me first, right? <laughs> but you see, we get caught up in the worry and the fear because of the uncertainty, and yet we even have to look at the future through the lens of the gospel and the truths that are there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your salvation is secure because of what Christ has done. Eternity awaits you. Heaven, your inheritance is there where rust or, or moth cannot destroy. Those are all the truths of the gospel. That when weary about the future comes and invades us, Paul saying, you know, maybe it's going to be a painful death. What is, what is Nero going to do? Hey, I don't know, you know, all things work for the good. I don't understand that, but i got to trust it. Like I said, Paul's chained up to these guys, and he's sharing the gospel with them. Who knows how long, but okay, God, you're in charge, no one else. So to experience true abundant joy... Regardless of circumstances, be prayerful about everything. Think biblically upon those things that bring God honor and glory. And finally, live like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus lived holy and he lived humble. Take a look at God's word. The next verse, chapter Philippians 4, 9 and then 13. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And then in verse nine or 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know those three people that I was talking about, you know how they can do that? Christ. He strengthens us. I can do all things. I can live a joyful life. I can do that because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what he's saying. I can do all things. I can live an abundant life. I can live a joyful life, regardless of what the circumstances are in my life. I can do that because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's how I can do it. That's how they do it. It's about Jesus. And it goes on in Philippians 1, 7. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. He's encouraging the Philippians. That's what your goal is. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness and then in galatians there's the fruit of the spirit but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control all tied together all dovetailed together yet still listed independently i say live humbly i didn't put these verses up there but go to chapter two of philippians and it's talking about how jesus humbled himself did not think being equal with God was anything to pursue. But he says, you know what? He humbled himself and became like man, put on flesh. And, and Paul says, have the same spirit among you. and it says that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And then it, because of that, the, the Father exalted him, seated him on the right hand of the Father. And now every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, Jesus was humble. He put other people's needs ahead of his own. He lived a holy life without sin and thought, word, or deed. And Paul's saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. saying, live like that. Live like that. And I think part of it is this. That if we can, by God's grace and God's mercy, live with a deep down abundant joy in hard times, that makes our Christianity... Contagious. It makes it contagious because our friends and our family and their neighbors know the hard times are going through, and they can't understand how you can have a joy in the middle of all of that. I can I can already see the guys being chained up to Paul. Paul, like I said. Paul says, hey, great to see you. How are you doing today? And they're they're probably thinking in their heads, what is wrong with this guy? He doesn't know who's in charge. It's Nero, crazy man Nero. This guy's a walking dead man. And he's got a joy. How can that be? I'm sure some of them even said, don't you get it, Paul? You're going to die, buddy. He's going to take your life. Are you foolish enough to think that you're getting out of this? And I can just see Paul say, "I I, I don't know whether I will or I won't. But it doesn't matter. Can you imagine what that did to the heads of the people that he was chained to? How can you be like this? How can you have a joy with what you're going through? And the world is looking for joy. And they can't find it. They can find temporary happiness in things, as I said in the beginning. But they're looking for an abundant, deep-down joy. And when we, by God's grace, can live with a joy in the midst of our struggles and our challenges, then that makes Christianity all the more attractive and contagious. Because you see, Paul's obstacle, prison, became his pulpit for God's glory. And you know what? The obstacles in your life, the challenges in your life, if you can live by God's grace joyfully, will become your pulpit for the glory of God. My sister Lynn has had an opportunity to share the gospel with tons of people. She says, how can you make it through? And she always comes back to the gospel because of Jesus, because of what he's done for me and is doing for me. She keeps coming back to that. The, the very tragedy that stripped her joy God is restoring her joy. And he's using that as his pulpit to bring his name glory. What about what you're going through? I don't know what you're facing, but the gospel can give you real joy regardless of your circumstances. The diagnosis may not change, God may not heal you, the relationship may not be healed, it may stay broken kids or the parents may not turn. But can you, by God's grace, have a joy regardless of those circumstances? I don't know what you're facing, but God does. And He's got a purpose behind it. And the purpose is for your good and His glory. And that can be really painful at times. But God can bring you through that. For His purposes, for His glory. Because you see, joy... Or peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but the confidence that he is there with you always. You see, he's the one who is sovereign, not the world. He's the one who is faithful. He's the one who cares and loves you deeply, and that will never change no matter what you do. It's based on Christ's performance for you. That's why God's promises found in the gospel can produce an enduring joy that cannot be squashed by anything or anyone because it's based on something that will never change, who you are in Christ and the promises in the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. You know the struggles. You know the challenges. The relationships that are fractured, the physical bodies that are fractured. Lord, whatever it is. And God, some people in here, I think it's been a while since they've really experienced joy. And I ask you to do a miracle in our midst and just pour out an abundance of joy upon hearts. God, whatever has allowed has been used by the enemy to take their eyes off of you and the gospel. Lord, would you by your grace and your mercy turn their eyes to you and would you restore a joy unspeakable, as it says, a peace that passes understanding, God, for your glory. Do this miracle in our midst so that your name would be made much of and that we would stand in awe of you, God. I pray this in Jesus' beautiful in glorious and powerful name. And all God's people said.